The Motivational Moments podcast is made possible by the generous sponsorship of Prime Information Security, online at www.primeinfosec.com, and with the support of our many subscribers. Thank you. Hello everyone, it's Linda Ockwell Jenner here with another Motivational Moments podcast. And I'm very honoured to have um, a lovely person um, to chat to tonight, Mike Farwell, who is the host of the Mike Farwell Show, 570 News at Rogers. Hi, Mike. Linda, when you begin by describing me as lovely, I don't know how this conversation can be anything but fantastic. (laughs) You know, (laughs) I, I was introduced to you by my daughter, and I can't thank you enough for that. And since then, I've got to know you, and you are a really generous, kind, and humble human being. So, you know, you are lovely. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. So if I can start off and say, um, basically, you are a radio host um, for, you know, for for the Mike Firewall Show. I'm a 570. How did you get into that kind of work? Was it something you always wanted to do? Yes, in fact, it was. I And I didn't always do radio. Uh, I've been fascinated with it for my entire life, and it was really the only thing I was halfway as interested in doing. But it, to me, it didn't really seem like an actual job. It's not something that you went to school for and figured out how to do or anything like that. So mm-hmm. I actually began by following in my father's footsteps. I went to school to become a teacher, and I did that for a year before I realized this really isn't my cup of tea. It's not what I am cut out to do. And so I went back to school. By that point, of course, I was an adult and I figured out a few more things and uh, thought, no, there are broadcasting programs and I can go and study that. And I did. And the rest, as they might say, is history. I I got my first full-time job in radio four four months after graduation and I haven't looked back since. Was it this particular radio show? Was it a different one? Oh my goodness. Yes, it was a different one. I, uh, how, what did I say? I think it was seven moves I made in my first nine years. My very first job was out in British Columbia, in fact. Uh-huh. And I went out to a, a small but beautiful town called Salmon Arm, BC. It's in the interior and some great skiing in that area, if it's your cup of tea. And uh, then, I, you know, because of the way the, the industry works, you start in a small town and you try to make your way to a bigger one along the way. And for me... The ultimate goal was to come back to my hometown, which is Kitchener, and it, oh. it's worked out some way, somehow. The stars aligned, and I ended up right back where I really wanted to be, working in my hometown. I did stop in Toronto a couple of different times along the way to work in the largest media market in Canada, but for me, it was always about Kitchener, and I'm really, really happy to have come back here. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So the message I'm getting is it's wasn't I don't know whether it's easy now but it wasn't easy for you Mike and having to leave your home and your family you know and your friends you know I guess you lived in so many different cities and you just wanted to come back to your hometown I guess you had some tough times didn't you and thinking you know I can do this I can do this and you were determined yeah there were some lonely moments particularly in the earliest days for sure but the funny thing is is you describe it that way linda i remember or 
I didn't know at the time, and I've since learned now with the wisdom of my years, my poor mother, when I got on that plane to British Columbia, I was the only one of her children to do any such thing. And I didn't realize until many, many years later how difficult that had been on her to watch her son do that. So, Because you are a close family. Um, yes, we are. Which, which makes it harder. As you, you know, my gorgeous daughter, I'm so proud of her. Um, she actually went off to Australia. Well, her first trip was back to our homeland, England, <laughs> when she was 17. And it was funny because at that time, um, she'd saved all her own money to pay for a trip. We, you know, we, we didn't spoil our kids. We couldn't afford it. Um, so she saved all her own money and she was going to be looked after by friends and family and, and do all the good things. And then my friend said to me, oh, well, uh, there's been some explosions on the subway over there, you know, the tube, and bad things were happening. Is Mr. Melissa still going to visit? I said, of course she is. I go, you know, I grew up when it was the IRA era, you know, and I'm still alive. <laughs> and then um, she was one of the youngest at college, and uh, she graduated and couldn't do a postgrad in Australia with some of her friends worked three jobs off to Australia and seen her off at the airport. I know how your mum felt and she was gone eight months and not as long as you, but it's heartbreaking as a mum. I'm glad you came back and talking about close families. um, Recently I heard your story at the uh, networking organisation that I'm co-founder of and it brought tears to my eyes and I'd love you to share why you are very much into fundraising, why you never stop to sleep and and why you raise a lot of money. You don't, you never sleep. Um, You raise a lot of money and only you can tell your story, Mike. So I'm just going to be quiet and let you share your story because I want more people to support you if possible. Well, Linda, I've often said that the entire thing uh, was a a complete accident. I, I never intended for anything that I did to have this level of impact. But I think it's got something to do. I think it's got a lot to do with what I mentioned before about kind of coming back home to do my life's work and and being in a community that uh, is very giving, very warm, and, and, and a community that really has embraced me. But when it comes to uh, the reason that it did that, uh, I, you know, I, I guess I can't be certain. But what what took me to the the point that I'm at was losing two of my sisters to a disease called cystic fibrosis, and that is the uh, most common fatal genetic disease affecting Canadian children and young adults. And so I come from a family of five, an older brother, an older sister, then comes me, and then two younger sisters after that. And two of those sisters, my older sister, her name was Luann, And the youngest in our family, her name was Sherry, both passed away from cystic fibrosis. And when I was growing up, and this was a part of our daily lives, my sisters would have to do treatments to keep their lungs free from mucus, and they would take handfuls by the dozens with each and every meal enzymes or pills that would help them digest their food because cystic fibrosis primarily affects the lungs and respiratory system as well as the digestive system. And so we just kind of got used to it. And even though I guess in the back of our minds, I mean, we were certainly aware of the statistics and the research that told us people at this time anyway, who had cystic fibrosis, the average life expectancy was 24 years. It was something I can 
honestly tell you, Linda, was never really on my mind. We mm -hmm. just, that was just our life. That's the way it worked. And then mm -hmm. the real tragedy of it all was that I lost both of my sisters about nine months apart. Luann passed away on September the 15th of 1993, and she had just recently turned 24. She was about uh, four months past her 24th birthday. And nine months later, the youngest in our family, our baby sister, Sherry, uh, passed away June the 10th, uh, 1994. And she was only 18 at the time. And it was unexpected, would be the mm -hmm. kindest way of putting it. it. just caught us all off guard. So it, it was a really rough patch. And I, I still think back on my parents at that time and wonder how they coped and they managed to get through all of that. I remember my father saying that no parent should have to bury a child. And I know that my family's not unique in that, but mm -hmm. certainly it's it's not something that happens to everyone. And I, I still feel uh, very much for my parents and having to to bury two, uh, two of their own children. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, somehow, some way, my folks made it. They're still uh, together and strong and, and oh. just wonderful, dear, wonderful people. And then for me, it kind of... It, it took me away from all things cystic fibrosis for a while. It just, I needed to have a break and, and having lost my sisters and, and watched particularly what my older sister had gone through towards the, the end of her life because she had really gone through all of what we would call the final stages of the disease sort of ravaging her body. And uh, I just needed to have that little break. And then I took it. And, uh, you know, I think it's one of those very personal things that's different for anybody who has suffered any kind of loss or any level of loss. And uh, I just, I just took my time and, and eventually it occurred to me that I might have an ability to pitch in somewhere, somehow, some way and come back to cystic fibrosis in the capacity of being a volunteer. And, mm -hmm. and that really happened because I was, I was sitting at a, a dinner. I was serving in a volunteer capacity on a board. It was actually our Kitchener Public Library board at the time. And we went to a dinner event and the speaker said something that just, it just really struck me. And he said, um, community service is the rent we pay for the space we occupy. And that, for whatever reason, good timing, I'm not sure, but it really resonated with me and it got mm -hmm. me thinking more and more about what I might be able to do and in what capacity I could give. So I started volunteering my services because I was a radio announcer as a as an MC. If anybody mm -hmm. needed an event that you know I could lend a helping hand with because they were either too afraid to speak or didn't feel they had the skills to do so, I would pitch in and do that. And, and one thing led to another and I got more and more involved in our local cystic fibrosis chapter again. And so as the years went on, I would get deeper and deeper in terms of my involvement. And I try to do the fundraising like so many others of us do when it comes to causes that matter to us. And so I send out the emails or knock on the doors and say, Hey, you know, it's that time of year again, would you make a donation for our big charity walk that's coming up on the last Sunday of May? And, so on and so forth. And eventually, I, quite honestly, Linda, I got tired of doing that. I felt like I was asking all the time. I just, you know, it's ask this, ask mm -hmm. that. And I, I felt like I was just being a 
a pain to everybody. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I picked up different ideas. I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll do some things that are different. And so I sat in a dunk tank and tried to raise money that way. <laughs> and I stepped into the boxing ring with a world champion <laughs> from Kitchener. And, and I jumped out of an airplane. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's actually where I first would have met Melissa when I did my uh, oh. airplane jump. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, you know, then, then after I jumped out of a plane, and I think that year I raised close to $8,000 in my efforts. And I thought, well, that was pretty good. But yeah. gosh, what are you going to do next? You're going to climb Mount Everest. <laughs> like, what do you, what do you, after you jump out of a plane? <laughs> and so I just had this, this silly idea. And I thought, well, what if I, uh, what if I offered a service in, in exchange for a donation? So it's not really asking so much. It's, it's telling somebody, hey, you know, I'll do that job that you need done or maybe that you don't want to do yourself. And when I do it, then you'll pay me. But you're not paying me. You're paying my charity and, oh. and you're making a donation to my charity. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, it just it just took off. And just to show you how long ago it was, it was May of 2014. And I chose May because that is Cystic Fibrosis Awareness Month. Oh. And I just... I started it with a tweet, and I made the hashtag Farwell for Hire. Uh, obviously, my last name, and then <laughs> I put for hire on the end of it because I kind of liked the <laughs> alliteration of Farwell for Hire. And yeah. One little tweet with the hashtag Farwell, the number for hire, and a fundraising campaign was born. And the very first year that I did it, I thought, well, we'll see how this goes, and Maybe I can improve on that $8,000 I had made jumping out of a plane the year before. Mm-hmm. And we raised over $20,000 in May of 2014 just wow. hiring myself out for odd jobs. Yeah. And so once it started on that foot, I thought, well, goodness gracious, if you can make $20,000 in a month, that's a pretty good thing. So I, I did it again another year and another year and another year and another year and another one. And I'm just wrapping up as we speak uh, year number six of this campaign, and over the first five years, uh, have raised more than three hundred thousand dollars for cystic wow. fibrosis that research. That is amazing. You wrapping it up. When does it finish? It's going to finish this year on May the thirty eighth. That's how I like to describe it. I like it. that. <laughs> I like my th- So it's still going because obviously I want you to tell people who are going to be listening to the podcast. Obviously, you know. Ha- if there's still time, you know, can they hire you? <laughs> well, unfortunately, my calendar for jobs is booked solid. That However, is amazing. Isn't it? Well, this is the thing, being that it, it is the sixth year of doing this. And, that is and amazing. And last year, yeah, it, it raised over $138,000 last year in one month and a little bit. And I thought, well, at some point we're going to reach a a level of saturation. Mm -hmm. People will have lost interest, but if that's going to happen, it didn't happen this year because the jobs calendar is so full. I am so happy for you. But we can still, um, people, and we'll talk about, we'll give more information at the end, but people could still maybe donate to cystic fibrosis and people could put you on the calendar for next year. Absolutely. Let's book you ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> now taking bookings for May of 2020. Exactly. That's what. Yes. So yes. <laughs> is there ever a job that you think, oh, my goodness, um, can I do this? <laughs> oh, my goodness. There are many. Because, listen, I am not a very talented person, Linda. Oh, get I out am, of here. No, no. I, <laughs> I am a radio announcer, and that's it. <laughs> the, 
the one thing I will lay claim to is a work ethic. I will give you my very best effort at whatever it is that's asked of me. But I find myself in situations occasionally, usually they are situations that involve farm animals, where I start asking myself, (laughs) how did I get here? This is a clean show, Mike. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Well, listen, the animals are the only things that are dirty. I can tell you that much. Can you tell us a story? The first one that always comes to mind, and, you know, in fact, just this year during the campaign, I, I spent some time on a hog farm and getting inside those barns, and I had never in my life, I mean... I'm a city yet. I've mm-hmm. never spent time in a rural area. <laughs> and I was completely taken aback <laughs> by the by the odor that is inside oh. those barns at the hog farm. Wow. Really, for the story that I always tell, I go back to the very first campaign because as that month of May 2014 went on and the campaign picked up more and more momentum and people realized, hey, this guy... When you call him, he's actually coming to weed your garden and wash your car. Yeah, and I know. Lawn and yeah, you do what, it. Yeah, I do. I absolutely do. All the labor is uh, is man made right here. Yeah. Uh, but it got to a point where people, it seemed like, wanted me to do sillier and sillier <laughs> or more and more outrageous things. So oh. I was invited to uh, a horse stable where uh, a woman had asked that I bathe her horse Bailey and then clean his sheath and I think I might just leave that for your listeners to google but I I will tell you yeah I will tell you that it requires a latex glove and some lubrication (laughs) and your hand does disappear for a time while you carry out the task this is hilarious you are amazing (laughs) what what's been the most fun thing you've ever done or the most exciting thing I don't know you tell me something really different to animals <laughs> <laughs> yeah those would definitely qualify as some of the strangest but I have had oh my goodness so many opportunities throughout all of this one of my favorite experiences from just this May was spending some time at a public elementary school in Kitchener visiting with students in four different classrooms and they were varying ages so you know I, it might be reading a story others just wanted oh. to ask questions mm-hmm. i i am i am so impressed with the uh with the with the the curiosity mm. of students today and i i've just been blown away and i i've really relished those opportunities and it certainly makes me feel good about where we are headed as a community when i see yeah kids of that age that are so engaged so i've always enjoyed getting into schools and then this year one of the other things i did which was just a an incredible educational experience for me i was inside a cannabis production facility now don't you know it's all legal it's legal now now. no it's fine so (laughs) what did you exactly have to do (laughs) you name it i did everything I didn't inhale. Don't get me wrong. No, no, no. There was no, there was no sampling of any product, but I helped to, uh, I guess, trim or manicure some of the plants. And I went through the entire operation learning from, you know, stage one through packaging and shipping, Mm -hmm. how the process would work. And it was interesting. It was very interesting and something that other, I otherwise would have never known a thing about. So, so, so along the way you get educated all I can say is you are frigging amazing. What I do want to ask, though, is um, is it getting better, like, 
everybody's raising a lot of money for cystic fibrosis, including you. Are we closer to a cure? That is such a great question. And the short answer is yes. And oh. yes, yes, absolutely Good. yes. Good. Because, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this if I didn't feel as though we were making an impact. I couldn't mm-hmm. just go through the motions and, yeah. and quite frankly put myself through this. Not only is it physically demanding and I'm not getting any younger. Oh, get out of here again. It's, <laughs> it's also, if if I'm brutally honest, it's it's taxing in that the entire month I'm surrounded by cystic fibrosis and I'm reminded of yeah, cystic yeah. fibrosis and I I see and I meet kids with cystic fibrosis and I hear that telltale <sighs> cough that is different than your regular cough but if you know the CF cough yeah. you know the CF cough so I, I can't it, imagine Mike I, I can't put myself in your position obviously I haven't been in your position but you do this out of love loyalty and the fact that you want to help people i know you did your best to help your family your sisters but sadly it wasn't to be so you're doing this for all the right reasons and i i don't know how you get through it i really don't so do we have a time frame for a cure or is that still something that's quite new to no it would be i i think it would be a fool's game to try to put the timeline Mm -hmm. on it but Mm -hmm. we are we are working towards what Cystic Fibrosis Canada uh, has entitled a world without CF. And mm-hmm. so while I am focused almost exclusively on a cure, mm-hmm. uh, there are also what Cystic Fibrosis Canada likes to talk about as the controls. So a cure or control for cystic fibrosis. And so the control, control, of course. What, what, what does control mean? Well, you know how we can manage, uh, you know, diabetes through mm-hmm. insulin and things like that. So mm-hmm. our our advances in research have gotten uh, so significant that we're getting closer and closer to allowing people, even though they have the genetic disease that is cystic fibrosis, to lead near normal lives. And Aww. if I go back to that time in the early 1990s when my sisters were alive and the average life expectancy was 24 (sighs) people with cystic fibrosis today for the first time in history now we have passed over the 50 years of age threshold so a child born with cystic fibrosis today Mm. has as good a chance as not of living past the age of 50 and that's a pretty significant milestone Yeah. yeah because you know where there's hope, if, if we give up on hope, we've got nothing. But to know that, you know, people living with this terrible, terrible disease can live longer and actually be comfortable, you know, it's not like I hope that, you know, they're going through a lot of pain when they, you know, are living to this age. Um, one quick question, because I know you've, you've, you've probably, you know, been working all down the radio and doing everything you do, so I don't want to keep you too long. Um Oh, I forgot my question. You inspire me so much, and it's a lot for me to take in. I haven't been through this, as you know. I know what the question was, sorry. Um, Parents don't know when they, you know, make a baby together that they may give birth to a child with cystic fibrosis. I mean, there isn't a test, is there, or anything like that? There is now, but... 
Yeah, and that's one of the other advances that have come along. The thing is, you would have to know, kind of going in, it would have to have some history in your family okay. that's present. Otherwise, I, I don't think you would just randomly say, well, no. maybe we should get tested. I mean, I guess yeah. you could. That, yeah. that option does exist. But certainly in our case, that was that was not the situation. No, no. And the and reason I'm asking, older. sorry, the reason I was asking is because today – like they discovered that the baby in the womb may have a heart condition so they can do something about it. And and I'm hoping that, you know, eventually, you know, the cure is before the baby is born, if that makes any sense. No, that's absolutely true. And that's exactly what we're looking for. And it takes us back to the late 1980s when one of the greatest uh, discoveries in the history of cystic fibrosis research was made at Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto. And that's when they found the the defective gene that causes oh. cystic fibrosis. So ever since that time, and I know it sounds like forever when mm-hmm. you're talking about 30 years now, yeah, but yeah. The, the idea is to try and block that gene from being passed on from exactly the parents into the child. Yeah, That's what I was getting at. I, I, would mm-hmm. love, I would love it if that you know could happen. Um, so what kind of information do you want to give our listeners uh, how, how we can help, if not this year, next year, what we can do now, now in this time, can we do anything, you know? Well, listen, I can uh, assure you that it makes me very proud to fundraise for and advocate on behalf of people who have cystic fibrosis because the donations that are made through Cystic Fibrosis Canada are being moved right into research and it's doing Mm. such great research and and most of the very best in all of the world is happening right in Canada but the dollars are really well spent with low overhead and then we're making the the money does make a a very significant impact in that research and certainly as far as my campaign is concerned uh, there is a Facebook presence, Farwell the number four higher. I'm still there on the old Twitter where I started <laughs> all of this at Farwell underscore WR. And you'll find links right to my fundraising page if you happen to catch this before we close things down on mm-hmm. uh, June the 9th this year. I'm, I'm trying like heck to get to $150,000 okay. as a fundraising goal. And I think I'm going to need a little push to get there. I've got okay. some jobs left to help move up the number, but uh, any donations would help. But I think more than anything, some, you know, when it comes to the awareness that people would now have about cystic fibrosis, yeah. it's not something you'll you'll see. You might no. not know a person standing next to you has cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. but this is something that we can beat. This is something that we can cure in in my lifetime, mm-hmm. and and that keeps me moving forward. So, really, um, listen to the podcast, listen to what you've got to say, go to the Cystic Fibrosis site and basically raise awareness. And I would urge everybody listening to the podcast to come and donate. Uh, They've got till June the 9th, and we'll put this on the podcast page as well so people don't get lost. Um, And then I guess after your, your hard work, after the 9th is finished, people can still donate to Cystic Fibrosis Canada, can't they? That they absolutely can. If you go to cysticfibrosis.ca, you'll be able to donate right there, and your dollars would certainly be appreciated as we continue our work towards this cure. Perfect. And, you know, every little bit counts. It doesn't have to be a lot. It's just every little bit counts. Mike, you inspired me again. Um, as I say, when I heard you speak about this um, at the event, you very kindly came along and spoke at I think everybody in the room 
were made aware and um, wanted to help in some way. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And if myself and Dave can help you in any way in the future, please don't hesitate to ask. And uh, have a lovely evening. I hope you're going to be resting or are you off out to do some more work? I've got one more job for the evening, but that's okay. okay. I, can, uh, I can rest as of June the 10th this year. Okay, my angel. So um, I'll see you again, no doubt. Have a lovely evening and take care. I look forward to it, Linda. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye-bye.